This is a video on innovations in dental care for the head and neck cancer patient. And it's part of a series of videos where we're looking at changes in, in care, improvements in care to improve survival, but also the quality of life for head and neck cancer patients. And thank you so much for taking an interest in dental care, which is so important, as you know, for the head and neck cancer patient. I've just been speaking to special needs dentist, Sharon Liberali, and it now gives me great pleasure to introduce a nurse who has traveled all over Australia, as well as working all across South Australia, and who has worked for many years advocating for and caring for head and neck cancer patients. So welcome to you, Tracy. Can you tell us your name and your title and, and in a nutshell what you do for a job? Thanks, Julie. Thanks for having me. My name's Tracy Nichols. I'm a ear, nose and throat nurse practitioner, head and neck cancer coordinator at Flinders Medical Centre in Adelaide, South Australia. Been around ENT for probably about 28 years and uh, the last few years dedicating my experience and knowledge to caring for our head and neck cancer patients. Why are you so passionate about the care of head and neck cancer patients? Because I know you do a lot of things that are uh, uh, really in the advocacy, trying to improve our care. What touches you so deeply about our needs? I think the head and neck cancer patient are the patients that are kind of not forgotten, but certainly there's not as much information or knowledge or even um, care pathways for the head and neck cancer patient as we find with our prostate cancer or our breast cancer patients. And I'm not making light of any patient that is, has a cancer diagnosis. But I think for the head and neck cancer patient, it affects just every aspect of our being. Um, it affects how we communicate, how we swallow, how we socialise, and in some cases, our general appearance. So I think as a, as a cancer itself, um, this is, is just a horrible, um, lifelong cancer that our patients have to live with. I always say it's a tough gig. It's a very tough gig. You, you mentioned... Uh the term care pathway. Can you just explain what you mean by that and an example of how you might use that uh, with one of your head and neck cancer patients? So I guess it's about every centre having a multidisciplinary team so that a, that a patient that is diagnosed with a head and neck cancer has all, all aspects of professional involvement in their care so that their pathway and their care um, accommodates all their needs. Just before I, I ask you some more questions about your direct work with head and neck cancer patients, particularly focusing on the dental side, uh, you're a specialist head and neck cancer nurse. We know about them with breast cancer and I think now with prostate cancer we have uh, over 40 specialist prostate cancer nurses. Do we have enough head and neck cancer specialist nurses in Australia? Certainly not, Julie. Um, I was the first in South Australia and that position was created um, by a very innovative head of unit. Um, we since have another in South Australia, but two in one state certainly isn't enough with the, uh, the amount of patients that are diagnosed uh, with head and neck cancer here in South Australia. 
The roles that I've been able to find around Australia, they usually have a mixed cohort of patients, cancer patients that they deal with, um, but certainly not enough uh, head and neck specialists. So when you say mixed cohort, uh, the, the nurse coordinator I had looked after head and neck cancer patients, but she had patients with other sorts of cancer to look after as well. Some of the larger uh, specialist centres um, around Australia, and I was fortunate enough when I started in this role to visit, um, do have uh, a head and neck cancer specialist. But the roles are very, very different. And I think because the numbers perhaps aren't as large as other cancers, um, institutions don't look at them as needing to have one person manage that role. But I think one of the things I find, and a lot of, thing, a lot of uh, my time is spent managing our rural and remote, remote patients when they have to leave where they live to come down to a, a city centre to have their treatment. And the coordination of those patients and their needs just takes an incredible amount of time um, so that they're not coming down one week to see the dentist, the next week to see the audiologist, and then the next week to see the specialist. So it takes... I mean, that's one aspect of the role, but it takes a fair amount of time and just coordinating that the patient's journey is tough enough without having to come down to the city, leaving home, family and supports, not to mention the expense of it all um, to come down multiple times before treatment even starts. Tracy, let's turn now to the dental issues that is the focus of this particular video. I'd like to look longer term. With Sharon Liberali, our special needs dentist, uh, earlier on in this video, we looked at uh, many of the acute needs. But longer term, in your experience, what are some of the most distressing side effects uh, that affect particularly the oral and dental health of, of a head and neck cancer patient? I think, Julie, you know, when the immediate treatment is over, and we've had a few months of treatment finishing, side effects settling, and we're looking six months, 12 months, even five years down the track, when we've had teeth extracted or we've had some damage to our jaw, our saliva. And often these patients, unfortunately, can't return to work and they're still left with not enough teeth to be able to chew their meals, even if they can cope with that. Um, there's the access to um, public dentistry or um, Medicare supported benefits to um, acquire dentures, plates, sometimes that's just out of reach for some patients. So even long term down the track, they don't have a full set of um, teeth to be able to cope with eating anything other than their soft foods. So that goes to both uh, capacity to have good nutrition, but it must also go very much to how you feel about yourself and going out in public, getting to know friends and family closely again, eating in front of people? Absolutely. I think, you know, and I still have patients now um, who don't have either dentures or their plates um, or still have ongoing dental issues. And, you know, just access to care, because it is expensive, it's not covered, um, is kind of out of reach for some of those patients. Could you talk to me about particular issues 
orally or dentally for surgical patients. As you know, I was a radiation and chemo patient and I'm pretty ignorant and I may not ask the right questions. So what are the issues that distress or or challenging for surgical patients and, and where can they get help? Surgical patients, depending on the type of surgery, depending on where the cancer is, and if you've had a cancer that's taken out part of your jaw and you've actually got your fibula now sitting in your jaw, then obviously um, down the track, if it's supported by the institution that you're um, being a part of, if you're able to get implants, then life becomes, you know, um, a little bit easier. But there are patients that don't have access to that type of specialist dentistry or be able to fund that. So I guess the surgical patient um, and having that type of major surgery will probably end up having radiation as well. So then we've got the ongoing effects of radiation. Um, So yeah, surgery patients, it depends on the type of surgery they're having and then exactly what we've done to their jaw or their oral cavity. It's uh, obviously very, very hard to generalise, but I think the key message I'm hearing from you is for people who can't access uh, public dentistry um, and who aren't affluent enough to have the private insurance to be totally in the private sector, there are real challenges there in getting the care they need to assist them to look good and eat. Is that the guts of it? Yeah, I I think that's in a a nutshell. Um, Ongoing... Um, issues with nutrition Um, and not only that too Julie you know I guess we've all experienced it at the moment because of the pandemic that we're um, all been um, trying to cope with is that social interaction and I've got some of my patients that no longer go out to eat Um, they won't some won't even eat in front of their family Um, So there's, you know, it is, it's the social issues, it's the nutritional issues and and also um, financial issues of trying to retain or gain um, your teeth and the ability to eat as normally as possible. I'd like to say that one of the videos we're doing in this series of videos is on managing distress and we speak to both patients uh, 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 clinical psychologist, uh, specialist nurse, uh, uh, psycho-oncology social worker and a researcher about aspects of managing distress and dealing with some of the issues that uh, uh, that uh, you're talking about. And, uh, and I know that for some patients, not all, peer support is very important. The chance to just meet and talk to other people who are grappling with similar issues. In your experience, what does help people to manage living long-term with some of the oral and dental challenges that just aren't fixed. So they've, they've, they've got to learn to live with them. What helps people? That's a really good point. And I think one thing that I'm very, um, one of the things I bring in my practice is um, with my patients. And often if I have someone um, that's just been diagnosed with a very similar type of cancer, not coping, I have a, uh, a group of patients that volunteer to come and see those patients whilst they're either in hospital or to meet them socially or to do a phone call, um, especially with my laryngectomy patients. And I've found this is just um, an amazing resource. And I find, and I'm sure you would have too, that 
when you were diagnosed, some people don't want uh, that social interaction with someone else. Um, but I find that there's others that are very susceptible to talking to someone that's been in the same boat. And I think too, seeing them survive and be on the other side and, and um, back to living a reasonably normal life, um, I think that just uh, speaks in um, you know, unmeasurable um, amounts. And just in a nutshell, for people who don't know what a laryngectomy is, uh, what is that and why is it so important for a patient who's going to have laryngectomy surgery to meet someone else who's had it first of all? We could do a whole video on laryngectomy, but laryngectomy is someone that's had a cancer in their vocal cords and have had their voice box removed. So we then bring the trachea, so the, the breathing tube, out to the skin and it sits on the neck. So these patients become neck breathers. Um, they no longer breathe through their nose and mouth. So our nose and mouth obviously warm and filter air down into our lungs, whereas um, they don't have the capacity to, uh, to do that when the stoma is sitting on the skin. So we need all sorts of different things that help us breathe, um, breathe warm, moist air, and also be a, the ability to talk again. Um, so that, that um, has a very much an impact on, um, on how these, pati these patients return to a sort of normal when the ability to speak and breathe is changed. Just before I ask you the last question, I'm very mindful there may be someone watching this who's just been diagnosed and, it, you know, it can be very daunting to hear about uh, what can happen to some of your fellow patients and you think, oh my God, is this going to happen to me? It's my experience as a patient who's been around for a while now and met a lot of other patients that people can have these very serious treatments and they do recover. Many of them do go on to work. They learn to speak through a hole in their neck. They learn to carry their liquid food and travel overseas even if they can't eat normal food. That The human spirit is a resilient thing. Is that your experience? Not for everybody but for many. Absolutely. It's, um, it astounds me and it makes me very proud to be a part of the journey. Um, it, it's, it, yes, it does. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a toxic treatment. Um, it's tough getting through it. It's that tough gig getting through it. Um, three to four months of your life that you will never get back again. Um, but I think the day, the day comes when life does get a little bit better. And I think every day gets a little bit better. And you do find that new normal. I know you feel very deeply about these things. Just finally, if there were one or two things that could be improved for head and neck cancer patients in your lifetime, what would you love to see? One or two things for the patients you've worked with all these years that could just make it so much better for us? A head and neck cancer coordinator. <laughs> um, I think I'm very fortunate in the unit that I work. Um, I'm able to meet my patient right from the beginning. I sit on that um, uh, initial consult with the consultant. I'm able to either speak to the patient that day or re rearrange another appointment. And we sit down and we go through things very slowly um, because I think that first initial consult, all you hear is cancer. Um, I really 
do believe that you don't hear anything else other than cancer. So we're able to take the time to digest what's been said, what the treatment plan will be, and then all of my patients have my number, my email address, and they can get in touch with me any time of the day. I may not answer an email at two o'clock in the morning, um, but I will get back to them the next day. They're able to come and see me or to call me whenever they need. And I find in the beginning, that's really constant. There's a, there's a lot of time, a lot of um, that need to, to have that conversation, to see me, to get clarity on what their treatment's going to be. And as the treatment starts and as the treatment finishes, that contact, that relationship weans a little. I'm always there if they need me. Um, but it, it, it does, it's almost like your kids growing up and leaving home. Um, but the other, I think the other thing that is really good and it happens constantly, it happened yesterday, um, one of my patients four years down the track feels another lump in their neck and they know they can ring me and I can get them in to see the consultant within about 24, 48 hours. Fantastic. Tracy Nichols, so good to talk to you and I want to say on behalf of all head and neck cancer patients and families, thank you so much for your work and for your advocacy. Uh, you know, it just, you're making such a huge difference to our head and neck cancer community and we really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for being part of this video. And I'll, I'll